And welcome back to Inside the Pressure Cooker with Chef Chad and Chef Morris. Uh, last week, we split everything up into three parts. Uh, it looks like we're going to be doing that this week. Um, I'm actually still editing the rest of this episode. Um, but here's episode one of two, probably three. Um, I think that worked uh, pretty well, splitting it up into those three days as well. And sorry about last week. Um, not sure how or what, but I fucked up the editing on that. And so the first episode came out pretty janky. Uh, I was able to go in and fix it. So if you haven't gone and listened to it because it was all just jacked, uh, give it a shot again. Um, it's been updated. So sorry about that. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll get back to looking at my checklist. Um, but uh, so moving on. All right. This week, the topic at hand is culinary identity. And hello, everybody. Welcome back. So today we're uh, Josh Morris here with me and we're going to be talking culinary identity. Yep. Now for me. Um, yeah, we, we were kind of talking about this, this is going to go in, in a lot of different directions. Um but they all kind of fall into the same category of culinary identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'll just kind of launch into this a little bit. Um, just before this, Morris and I were talking about a little bit. I was thinking about uh, my growing up in this industry. And when I was growing up, you know, wearing a chef coat was a privilege. Yeah. Um, and I was honored to put it on every day. Um, and for me, it was also about striving towards getting into that next position. Um, and where if I was able to get like the restaurant's logo and my name on, on a coat, I, it was almost like validating all the work that I'd been putting into it. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it's like, okay, this is, I I knew it was real, but it just, it, it seemed to mean something more to me. Um, and and over time I, I got less attached to that. Um, mainly because I was probably just getting older and just like, I don't give a fuck. (laughs) Um, but that's, you know, in in hindsight, that's kind of a, a shitty opinion because now I'm kind of taking away from all the other young cooks that are striving for that same thing. Right. Um, and, and so I, I understand that. Um, and, and then, so, but as I, I, I advanced, it got to a certain point where as I was building restaurants, um, there's this trend that started coming about or man, almost like a Renaissance, if you will. Right. And in the chef world where, it wasn't about, you know, people were ditching the chef coats and going with t-shirt shorts or like, um, or jeans. Um, and then just an expensive apron. Right. Um, and I'm not sure what you would want to call that. Um, but then all of a sudden it became, yeah, I was going to say, but now at that point, like, what, I mean, what are you working towards? Um, you know, is a lot of people like, Hey, that coat means something. Yeah. So now that we've taken that coat away, 
you know, now we're, we're back to that culinary identity. Um, I felt the same way. Like when I became an executive chef, like that coat, it meant a lot to me and I felt privileged and also proud. Like every day when I got to put it on, you know, it was, it was a symbol. And when you strap that symbol to yourself every single day, it, it really does mean something. And it's like you said, like for a lot of cooks, you're building up to that. I'm glad the tokes went away. <laughs> and, uh, and even like, I know the, the whites were, uh, a big deal, like a very significant symbol. And even the white started to go away, um, just wearing like black chef coats or gray chef coats. But even that feeling never really left me either until I was working in a place where I had to wear a white chef coat, but I wasn't happy at that job. So I wasn't necessarily proud of what I was doing. So a lot of that symbolism is structured around what you're doing, why you're doing it. So if you're having a bad experience, you're not going to enjoy that coat. If you're having a great experience, you are going to enjoy it. But I think there's also a lot to be said for people that have, and we'll kind of backtrack on where I think this came from, but the formality has gone out of a lot of places. And if you're comfortable at work and you're happy at work, you're going to produce happier food. So if you're happier in a t-shirt and jeans than you are in a chef coat, by all means, I, I think, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think that informality came about, um, I know we've talked about this before, but that bistronomy movement that happened in Paris, I guess it started in like the late nineties and went through the two thousands and, um, uh, you had a lot of chefs, not all of them, but a lot of chefs that were trained in like one, two, and three Michelin-starred restaurants in France that basically said, fuck you to the Michelin system and just wanted to do their own thing. So going back to the the idea of a bistro where these classic French dishes, but really turn them on their head and being able to do whatever you want you're still producing extremely high end food with really great ingredients, but you're not so focused on the formality of it all, because sometimes that does take away from the experience at a fine dining restaurant where everything's very sterile. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, I, not just sterile, but very pretentious to the point where, I mean, you're almost like scared to eat certain things. Like, uh, I, you're, you're, you feel, I mean, for me, like I always felt very out of place at really high end luxury places because I mean, that's, I I was there for the food, but there are so many people there where I just felt judged all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Like, am I using the right fork? Um, Am I using the right glass? Like, a lot of those things can be thrown out the window. You can still have the same level of cooking. And anybody that's listening that is not familiar with bistronomy and all the chefs uh, associated with it, I would really, there's like two bistronomy books that are really, really inspiring. Uh, the individual chefs are, they're come, cookbooks are a little bit, 
bit harder to come by unless you speak French. So, but uh, it's been a huge influence on how I think about food and restaurants. No, definitely. What are the books? They're both just called Bistronomy. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. But they are definitely amazing books. All right. Yeah, I'll I'll dig those up and uh, I'll put the link in the the notes for everybody. Uh-huh. But I think when that happened, and even some of the chefs that were in Paris that were doing that were American chefs, and they came back, and now you have this, like you said, kind of like a renaissance in American dining where. It's, you know, maybe 40 or 50 seats. Like it's a small restaurant. It's chef driven. And um, where was I going with that? You know, the limited menu thing, a lot of them will have like prefix menus. So you get three or four courses, but it's only $50 a person unless you add, Mm -hmm. unless you add wine. And there's something beautiful about prefix menu. I wouldn't be surprised if that becomes more of a thing in America is because you can control a lot of costs when you only have to make four dishes as opposed to having an open menu with 15 to 20 items and you don't know if it's going to sell or if it's not. I think the prefix menu could be more of a staple coming up because costs are becoming so outrageous for product. I almost want to make that concept or just the discussion of the prefix menu a whole nother episode. Oh, we can do that. Yeah. Yes. There's, I've got a lot of opinions on that too. <laughs> but that leading into you know, the, the concept of fine dining now and, um, you know, like the fusion thing, I think it started in like the eighties and nineties. <laughs> Uh, I know Wolf, yeah, Wolfgang Puck was a, was a big facilitator in that one. Where, uh, Jean George, Jean George also. But the thing about Wolfgang Puck is like, as a rule now, if a place serves sushi and pizza out of the same kitchen, I'm not going to eat there. <laughs> uh, but at the time, I'm sure it was you know it was groundbreaking, and then that fusion kind of led into new American cuisine, which is still around. Mm -hmm. I think people are, it's gotten such a stigma attached to it. Like people don't really understand it because what's there to understand. So people started saying globally inspired instead of new American, because you could go two ways with that. Either American, new American cuisine is everything (laughs) combining the melting pot of America or it's being too lazy to really assign yourself to a particular cuisine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, God, I mean, you, you know how I feel about the concept of new America. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if I've said this on the show either is, you know, the funny part about it is the first restaurant that is, been recorded or that they've been able to find that was labeled as an American restaurant where they labeled themselves as an American restaurant. Um, and they went out of their way to say, Hey, we're going to build a, a, an American restaurant. It's, um, was actually in New York 
by a French chef. <laughs> well, how about that? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, not even the Americans really cared because honestly, for the longest time, you know, French cuisine just ruled everywhere. Yeah. Um, and so, but that's the whole concept of like, well, what is new American? Right. Um, uh, I mean, yeah. Is it the melting pot? Okay, great. I mean, our melting pot of cultures is always changing and evolving with combination of not just immigration, but technology and, and technology as far as like transportation that allows us now to get things from around the world that previously we haven't been able to get. Right. So that now changes things. Um, you know, that's also changed agriculture to a degree on what people are looking for, things you can find in the market. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just a local grocery store by me, I mean, has stuff there that 15 years ago, would you would you would have had to go to a specialty store to find some of this right. stuff. Now it's all kind of widely available. Um, so, I mean, does new American mean like that you've got pizza and sushi on your restaurant <laughs> menu? And I mean, as well as a curry and, uh, you know, fill in the blank. Yeah. Um, and bouillabaisse. Right. Um, your appetizers, instead of calling it apps, you're calling them tapas. <laughs> yeah. But if you ask somebody so, that's, that's not, that's not from America, what is American food? What do you think they're going to say? Fucking McDonald's. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm thinking. Like burgers, hot dogs. Those things aren't even American. Yeah. They're German. <laughs> so, shitty pizzas <laughs> shitty pizza spaghetti and meatballs even <laughs> so there's really I don't know how to define what American cuisine is a lot of other countries have you know their food cultures go back thousands and thousands of years America you know pretty much eradicated the natives so we don't have like a native cuisine the oldest cookbooks from here are the Southern cuisines, but all that stuff was, you know, West African. Mm -hmm. So we don't really have anything here except Buffalo wings. <laughs> I mean, that and barbecue. I think cooking meat over I a mean, fire is pretty, <laughs> pretty goes, goes back to any culture. Putting a shitty well, sticky sauce on it is pretty American. Each region, though, has got its own style. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, um, that is unique, you know, unique to each region. Um, you know, it was a lot of immigrants, um, that started each different style of barbecue in each region. Um, but all the ingredients I would say are pretty specific to the U S right. um, it's, it's not like you're, you're importing other things. So, um, but no, I, I mean, man, we got to get off this new American. Right? <laughs> well, 
back to the the astronomy thing and you are seeing a lot more restaurants with you know chef driven things and i don't think there's there's not as much focus on like becoming a, a restaurant empire i think as there used to be like chefs are pretty happy with just having one or two restaurants that they can you know there's a lot more control to be had but with sure. with that and you know, going against the whole new American and globally inspired and everything like that. Chefs are not aligning themselves with any particular cuisine. They're more using, using it to send a message. And more and more often that message is, uh, you know, support local farms, whole product utilization, be it meat or vegetables, but vegetables are becoming a little bit more popular. Mm Mm-hmm. And yeah, no, I, I mean, the other part that's kind of interesting with, as you would call like this chef driven, although I kind of hate that term as well. <laughs> um, and, and the only reason I hate it is just because of just marketing companies and PR firms just trying to use that term to just uh, it, it's like the word sustainable i mean everybody's just kind of beat it down until it almost doesn't mean anything yeah um you know uh, hey have you tried the new chef driven specials <laughs> at applebee's <laughs> yeah um yeah and so not to take away from you know legitimate restaurants like that but it's the where you have a chef that is more of the owner operator um, and, and, but you're right. They're, they're bringing a lot more food that at one point used to be very exclusive yeah. and they're, you know, they're bringing their techniques and applying it now to, um, a more affordable price points. But the, the funny part, there's no, but the, the funny part I see in a lot of some of these restaurants is you'll have like your $15 sandwich on a plate that costs 60 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. We've been there. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <Yeah. laughs> and I'm also guilty of doing the, you know, falling into the new American trap of, you know, this is a new American restaurant. We can pretty much serve whatever we want. So, you know, I did have menus where it was like a Spanish dish, a French dish, a, quote unquote American dish next to a fucking curry. Like I'm guilty of all those things as well. But as I've gotten older, I've become more of a stickler for a theme and a flow of of a menu. Well, and I don't think it's theme. I think theme was what you were doing. Yeah. And what you're looking for now is what we started talking about is identity. Right. Uh, because if you've got a theme and you're just ger- generalized new American, which, and you're like, well, shit, I can do anything, which honestly you can. Yeah. Right. And uh, new American is, I mean, God, I, I mean, that is so broad that it really doesn't apply to anything. So, and unfortunately it is just a catch all. Um, and, but having that identity of who you are, like, okay. in in when I do some consulting, um, I talk to people about this, 
ex- almost exactly um is it's like having a bowling alley right and now all of a sudden instead of having the you're putting the bumpers up so you can't get get yourself into the gutter and get lost <laughs> right if you have yourself an identity and it says you could do this but not that yeah. right now all of a sudden you've protected yourself so no matter what happens right even a shitty dish is going to still knock down a couple pins <laughs> that's a really good analogy so yeah and, and but that helps it helps you understand like you know um they you know they it's just basic ro- rules and guides does this make sense yeah all right that wraps up episode 1 stay tuned tomorrow for episode 2 of I shouldn't call these episodes um part 2 right today was part 1 tomorrow's part 2 of culinary identity Remember, like, share, write a review. (laughs) I couldn't remember what that third one was. So I appreciate y'all.